Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. The whole process of like notoriety and recognition for what you're doing is really only a mechanism by which to feed like the next thing, you know? And so it's built on this false construct of like, you know, you have to do more to be more. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. On today's show, we chat with James Beard award-winning chef turned thought leader, Matthew Jennings, founder of Full Heart Hospitality. We're all shut down. The hamster wheel has stopped and some of us are wondering if we have the energy and more importantly, the desire to hop back on. Today, we discuss the case for change with a man that did just that. Matthew Jennings walked away from his award-winning restaurants and all of the perks that come with being a celebrity chef to follow his bliss. In a time of great change, we find the opportunity to lean in. We begin with Matt discussing the changes he's seeing already within the industry. No, I just talked to Gavin Kaysen, uh, who is the chef and owner at a bunch of places in Minneapolis. And, and he's like, you know, the whole, the whole like experience that we're used to delivering from hosts greeting guests at the door and leading them to their table, walking past all these other people, stopping and, you know, having like three or four members of the staff multiple times a night drop by a table, you know, like the touches, the, this all of it, like, like what, where is that going to be now, you know? And, uh, and now it's like, you know, on the opposite end of that spectrum, I talked to another chef locally here who's like, these are the things I'm thinking about right now. When I box up this half chicken, do I care what it looks like when they open it? Like it's going to get jostled around in the car, depending on how far they're going. Like that's, those are the things that I'm thinking about right now, right? Is like, what is that? What does the reveal look like when you open the box? It's just like. Oh, it's crazy. I, I mean, you know, even getting into the fundamentals, I, I think a great example is, I used to tell people all the time, we strategically overbooked the restaurant because nobody wants to walk into a slow ass restaurant on a Saturday night at eight o'clock. You want to come in and you want to see a sea of people because there's there's social proof there, validation that you made the right choice. And like, are we pivoting into a culture where people go, oh, I went to Prune Proper on Saturday night. There were 15 people in there and I felt very safe. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Somebody else was talking about, and I think this is actually brilliant, like the opportunity now that exists for guests, like making things as transparent as possible. Like imagine, imagine in the experience of now most of most of us being forced to go to a reservation system where there's m- even more information taken about you as a guest and and with the caveat that that information is going to be provided to other diners because people are going to want to know right oh, yeah. like who's sitting around me and like and yet that also creates this whole new opportunity for like engagement like being in a restaurant, being able to look at your reservation on your app and be like, oh, and here's some people that are going to be there. This person works for this thing. They do this. Oh, that's interesting. Like, 
you walk into the room and you feel an even better sense of connection to like place and, and experience. So like, there's some, like, there's some interesting opportunities in there, but like, man, it is, it's not pretty though. It's not, (laughs) it's not not the kind of restaurant world I want to live in. I know that, you know? Well, you know, Sam and I were talking about Prue and he goes, you know, just so you know, Josh, like as we're going through the financials, like trying to, to do some sort of strategic modeling, he goes, you know, it's just not going to be a restaurant, like in the traditional sense. It's not going to be the restaurant that it was. And I was like, I know, you know, like I eat like that hits me so viscerally. Like we got into this because we're restaurateurs, you know, and who knows what the pivot is. And then who knows would that, you know, extrapolate that out six months, 12 months, 18 months? Like, what, what is the expectation of the diner after? Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, once they get used to us pulling ourselves out of the experience, do they want us to, to come back in? Is yeah. dining out as experiential as it was before? Or have we pivoted to this, you know, uh, in Cornell University, they're talking about this third, a third, a third model where it's a third, uh, a third bodega style, like grocery boxes and things like that, a third takeout and delivery, and then a third dine-in. Mm. And like, you know, I don't, I don't know what your strategy was when you opened your restaurants, but my whole business model was someone's going to get in their car, they're going to drive to the restaurant, they're going to yeah. sit there for an hour to an hour and a half, they're going to pay us money, and then they're going to leave. And that, yeah. was, that was it. That was the whole thing. Yeah. And I like I wonder how many people, especially considering that you have access to so many other restaurateurs, like what's the overall consensus? Are people saying like, I'm not, I don't want to get into the grocery game. I don't want to get into the takeout and delivery game. I just want to do like what I set out to do. Yeah. Well, it's right now it's about survival, right? So, I mean, we just interviewed three different chef owners for the newsletter that we have going out here this week. One has pivoted to a full, full, gross grocerant model right he's in san francisco he saw the the foods flying off the shelves at the big block supermarkets so he was like let's do that um he's had i mean you know great success doing that whatever that means um i think it's all relative as he has told me but um you know it goes from looking at it as a check average to now what what grocers call a basket average so it's a whole new kind of way of looking at, at revenue um, we have another person we talked to who she's doing, uh, meal kits or, or like, I should say family meals and, you know, kind of meet and three type situation, you know, for families. Um, and then we have another couple in Pennsylvania that we talked to that has gone like full blown mercantile. So like soap and, you know, like non-perishables and, you know, all this crazy stuff. I mean, it's just... It's madness. It's madness. <laughs> and then, so you mentioned the newsletter. I, I, wa- I want to dig into Full Heart Hospitality. Mm. Um, talk to me about like the, how it started, the idea behind it, and what you guys are currently working on. Yeah. Well, so it started because I was doing some kind of side hustle consulting when I owned my restaurant in Boston. Um, and, uh, it kind of was picking up steam and I was having a good amount of success with it. Um, and I also had 
a pretty a couple pretty interesting relationships that opened up because of the restaurant. One of my greatest regulars at the time was uh, the former CMO for Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and so he and I became buddies and we started kicking some stuff around and he knew I was a New England guy. And, um, you know, so the conversations about the brand heritage for Dunkin' ensued and, you know, where they were at um, in this moment in time and wanting to really improve their food and service and everything. And so we just kind of, you know, uh, kept in touch. And, and as things worked out, he said to me, well, you know, do you want to help us kind of shape what the future of Dunkin' Donuts looks like? And I said, I'd, I'd love to. I think it'd be a great opportunity. So I'd start doing a little bit of work for them. And then everything kind of cascaded with my health situation and other variables in the restaurant. And so as I decided to move away from full service and, and, uh, and sell my restaurant and close, um, I kind of ramped up the, the consulting. Um, my goal in the beginning was I, I said to myself, God, you know, what do I love about hospitality? And it's always kind of that connection to people. It's creating experience. It's driving teams. It's that really hyper creative work. So how do I turn that into a job basically? Um, and so I kind of started going after more and more of those opportunities. So I was designing concepts. I was creating menus. I was doing recipe R&D, um, you know, marketing, social media, stuff like that. Um, and, and then uh, that kind of, you know, I started to get some, some gravity uh, doing those things on the East Coast. Simultaneously, my business partner, Jason Rose, who is uh, an accomplished chef in his own right and has had a pretty storied career in culinary. Um, he's in San Francisco, and he had been running uh, the Byright family of businesses in San Francisco. He'd also done some amazing things throughout his career. He's been Tyler Florence's uh, culinary director. He uh, had been the uh, culinary director for Dean and DeLuca. Um, some pretty amazing things. Um, but but Byright was where he was at the time, and he'd been there, I think, eight years, and he was just kind of also feeling that that kind of push pull about like, you know, what am I doing? What do I really want to be doing? How do I want to be spending my professional time? And so he said, Hey, what if I, you know, what if I joined you? What if I do kind of West coast hub, you do East coast hub, and then we can kind of collab on a bunch of stuff. So luckily we're in a situation where, you know, we had the traction for clients and we had a good pipeline built up. So I said, come on board and he jumped ship and, uh, and came on. And um, so that's kind of, you know, how it all began. Um, we realized quickly that uh, <laughs> I think the pipe dream of like wanting to be this, you know, kind of esoteric creative agency um, based in culinary wasn't always what clients wanted. You know, clients, also, they love that stuff and there's value. There's definitely value in those things. Um, but they also want that kind of real, real hard, data-driven, tangible you know, work um, that they just don't have time to do. And a lot of that ends up being very operationally based. So we kind of agreed that Jason would handle kind of the chunk of operational experience um, and I would do the creative. And so those two streams have always kind of driven us um, from, from the kind of the guts of the business, you know, part uh, of restaurants and food service establishments that isn't really sexy, which is the operation stuff, right? SOPs and um, strategy and implementation and all that. And then kind of the really fun, creative, wild, um, 
you know, uh, concepts creation and building and all that. So we always kind of have moved in tandem with those two things. And, you know, we've had an amazing breadth of clients, everything from small mom and pop operations to uh, multi, you know, billion dollar international corporations. Um, you know, doing everything from designing restaurants to working on products, um, consumer packaged goods. Um, you know, right now we're doing all this, uh, you know, COVID work for, for operations to get operators uh, ready with a new playbook for, for post-COVID uh, um, success. So um, so there's a lot of different things that, that we do. Um, it's, been, it's been interesting, but, you know, it's, it's had plenty of its challenges too. Well, and I want to draw back to to push forward. Uh, just prior to, to creating the firm, uh, you were an uh, an awarded, famous, like well-to-do chef doing interviews here and this there, and like you were by all metrics at at the top of your game. Whatever whatever people in this industry consider success, you had that, and you were like. Mm not for me. And and I think it puts you in a position of thought leadership because it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to to look at these worldly metrics and say, I I don't find fulfillment in this, or this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And and choose something that that more closely resonates with who you are as a person. Yeah. Can you walk me through like what led up to that, that thought process and all of that? Because I assure you, so many of us find ourselves in the same position now. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. And, and my, um, my greatest asset is also my greatest liability. Um, and that is that I'm never satisfied. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and I think that only within the last, within the last four or five years, I have been to, I've been able to recognize what, what success means to me. Um, I think that, you know, I've been cooking since I was 14. It's all I've ever done. I've been in kitchens, you know, from the first time I could have a summer job right up until recently. And, um, and I've, and I've never left because I love it. And I, and I love um, so many pieces of, of the industry. Um, And so I think that kind of in that process and like in that trajectory of becoming, you know, a chef, um, I kind of got, I think I kind of got lost. Like, like the industry is insidious in that it, and you know this, is that it kind of, it creates these monsters by which, um, you know, the, the whole process of like notoriety and recognition for what you're doing is really only a mechanism by which to feed like the next thing, you know? And so it's built on this false construct of like, you know, you have to do more to be more. And I think that like that was something that I couldn't recognize at the time because I was so deep in it. Um, And when you're that deep in and when you have, you know, one location and then two locations and then you you grow from your, you know, kind of small little mom and pop empire and like a second tier city like I did to say, oh, now we've got this opportunity to go to the big time and move up to a major, you know, metropolitan area and blow the concept out and, you know, do four times as many seats and open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And like, you get caught up in all that shit. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that it wasn't my fault for, for, 
you know, going through a lot of that process, I was certainly in the driver's seat, but I think that it actually, you don't necessarily have the ability to even see the road just because there's so much incoming constantly. And you find yourself wanting to, wanting to deliver on what's expected of you. Right. And that's for, that's delivering to your guests. It's delivering to your team. It's delivering to your investors. It's delivering to, you know, anybody who is, who is in the pool with you. Um, and so in that process, I think you kind of, it's hard to be objective and, and to look from the outside in. And, and I, I totally lost that ability. And so I think, you know, the thing that brought me back to level set was 20, uh, 2015. Um, my restaurant was about a uh, year, a year and a half in, or maybe it was, 20, it was 2016. So I was just about two years into the restaurant. Um, I was working a lot. I was doing the crazy days like everybody does, you know, 14, 15, 17 hour days, um, you know, six, seven days a week. Um, I didn't see my kids. I wasn't seeing my, I was not being a good husband. I was not being a good father for sure. Um, and I was, you know, taking substances and I was drinking and, uh, not sleeping and doing all of the things, all of the kind of, uh, quintessential, you know, uh, uh, you know, chef, uh, pitfalls, right. I was falling into all of them. Um, and so in that process, I just, um, I had a couple instances where, um, I had to have some coming to God moments and, and I told you one, one of those stories and I'm happy to tell it again, but, um, you know, some kind of a couple of moments that really brought me back to ground zero and made me recognize that uh, I was I was chasing demons and I wasn't necessarily chasing what what real success was for me. Um, and so um, I had to take a break. Um, I had to get well. And uh, mentally, I was in a bad place. I had this anxiety disorder. So I mean, I would like literally in the middle of service, have a panic attack when the board was full of tickets. And I'd have to go into the walk-in freezer to like literally chill out. Um, and I remember tying, like I would make long strands of plastic wrap and I would literally wrap them around like my waist and around the Metro shelf in the freezer um, so that I wouldn't want to like get out because I had to just like chill the fuck out. And I had to like calm down. And my only way of doing that, the only space I had in the whole restaurant to be to myself was in the freezer. Right. So like, so like, I just remember these moments of just being like, why am I doing this? Like, like what, what, what is, if I'm doing all this and like our restaurants just breaking even, like <laughs> why, what's the point? Um, and so I think like, you know, I had a few moments like that and others and, and, and I had to just slam the brakes on and get right. And, um, so my priority list shifted, right. My priorities, my priority list shifted. My doctor said to me, um, you know, you've got these, these anxiety issues, you've got, you know, your pre high blood pressure, pre diabetic, you, you know, you're 400 pounds. Um, you've got, you know, some light substance issues here you have the choice to either kind of reel this in and correct course or not. And if you don't, you're probably going to die. Um, and so I kind of took that. It was the first person that had really kind of gone out of their way to, to give me a reality check. Um, and so I kind of took that as fuel and I said, okay, you're right. I've known this. Um, and so my priority list changed. And one of those priorities was at least at that point, temporarily getting out of the restaurant business. 
Um, so I sold my sold my restaurant and shuttered it up and uh, and started kind of leaning into the consulting really hard. Well, there were a lot of choices made there, right? You also moved. Yeah. So so that didn't happen until a little bit later. So once once I once Full Heart was off and running um, and we had clients um, on both coasts and we had income and we were doing some really interesting projects and getting some traction and feeling good. Um, I kind of took my first breath because, you know, as you know, starting any business, whether it's, you know, in food service or consulting or whatever it is, um, it's a big lift. Uh, and so even just getting full heart off the ground to the point where it was like, you know, felt stable enough for me to look at it, um, from the outside, uh, it was, it was almost a year. Um, and so at that point, then I was able to kind of sit back and say, okay, here we are. We've created this new thing. Um, I don't have a restaurant. We're not tied to Boston. We love it. It will always be our home. I'm very proud to be from there. Um, but my wife was from Southern Vermont. We had always talked about coming back. In fact, throughout my career, um, any chance or opportunity I had to get to Vermont, I would. Um, I went to culinary school up here for a number of years and always found a really deep connection with Vermont. Um, and I don't know if that, you know, maybe it's ironic or, or serendipitous is a better word that I married a, a girl from Vermont. Um, but there's a reason there, I'm sure cosmically for, you know, for some, some reason. Um, and so we, we looked at each other and we're, and we're kind of like, let's do it. I actually was, was pushing harder than Kate was. She had, she had a very strong community in the Boston area and her whole family's there. Um, but I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, and so I eventually kind of won her over after a number of visits up here. And, and we also have some dear friends that had moved here just about a couple years prior to us. So we had some community already here a little bit. Um, and so uh, we found this amazing piece of property and uh, this great little community um, just south of Burlington. Um, and things just kind of started to fall into place. Um, you know, the real estate market was right in Boston at the time. It was peak. Um, and we found this cute old house had been sitting empty for a few years. And it just everything just kind of worked out, you know. So, so yeah, changing place was, I think also, honestly, like for me, it was important mentally to be afforded the luxury to, to now work from home and to also um, pick myself up and put myself in a new community. Like there was something about that experiment and that journey that like was really motivating and, and fulfilling for me. Um, and I knew that we'd get a lot out of that process as hard as it would be. So, um, so yeah, so now we've been here, um, we'll, we'll be a year in July, um, living here, here in the Green Mountain State. Well, the reason I bring it up is because you've just done such a great job of making like very specific, like decisions within your life. And I, I find that to be very, very inspiring because I've always fancied myself the same kind of guy. And then the pandemic hit and I realized that I was on the same train that you're talking about, right? That we had a bar that did really well. And then we opened a fine dining restaurant and I signed a lease for a rent that's $21,000 a month. And like, and then, you know, and then you've got to fill that space so that you can pay that rent. And then we had the idea that, oh, well, you know, we could expand into fast casual and we'll do a fried chicken joint. And 
and I, I wonder how much of that I was in control of and how much I was just, again, feeding the monster. Uh, and I, I find it so inspiring to see that, that you do take that time to take a step back and say, what do I want for my life? What's best for me? I think a lot of people are doing that right now. Mm-hmm. But it's worked out really well for you. So I find it really inspiring. Well, thanks. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the kind of break in the clouds with my health um, changed everything for me. Changed everything for me. I mean, I literally remember um, when I went through, you know, kind of some of the process of reclaiming my health. I remember having a moment lying in bed and looking up at the ceiling one morning before I put my feet on the ground and saying to myself, I literally have another chance. Like I literally have a second chance right now to do whatever the fuck I want to be, whoever I want to be. Like who can say that? Like who can say that, you know, and to, and to squander that opportunity would have been the most selfish thing ever because I had my family who was relying on me, my kids and my wife to make the right choices. Um, and, and, you know, I could have very easily said, you know what, no, let's go, let's open another restaurant. Let's do this. Let's keep grinding. Let's go after the award. You know, let's get the next article. Let's get the next cover of whatever. And like, that would have just been, that would have been, uh, a real shame, you know? Um, and I think like, I, I never, I never was able to think about things that way until, until I started getting my health back. Um, and, and I think that that, that kind of, it, it hasn't stopped. Like I just, I mean, for whatever it's worth, like I, be, I truly believe, and I like, I never have felt this way before, but I truly believe that like life can be about abundance and joy and progress all simultaneously. Right. You, you just have to figure out how to manifest that for yourself. And it looks different for everybody. You know, it looks different for everybody. And my decisions are not going to be the decisions that you make or can make or vice versa, you know, but when you kind of realize the amount of control that you have um, and, 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 and being aware of, of, of your surroundings and like the strong relationships that exist in your life and, and the amount of time that you have on this planet to like contribute to, to them uh, and to your community and to yourself in a way that's like meaningful, like, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? You know? And so I didn't think about any of that shit before. It was all about me. It's for, you know, for real, like it was, it was a total ego trip. I will tell you a hundred percent. Like, I think, I think there, there's a lot of ego in this business. There's a lot of ego in this business. And a lot of it goes, I think, even without people recognizing that they're injecting their ego into their projects they do it unknowingly. Um, I was one of those people. Um, and I think like now to be on the outside in a sense of, of the world or of the, of my, my little micro world of hospitality and food and beverage looking in, I'm just kind of like, wow, you know, um, it, it, it's kind of, it's interesting. It's really interesting to me because it's still my people. It's still my community. I still believe in that like that most poignant piece of this business, which is providing a connection for people, right? Like that's where I have been brought up on is, is that that's what my whole career is about is connecting with other human beings. But food was just the vehicle, you know, like restaurants and culinary, like it was just the, 
it was just the vehicle by which I was able to kind of have those relationships with people. But then once I got outside of the restaurant, I realized that shit's possible anywhere. Like all around us in all dimensions, you can create those types of relationships, you know? And so then I just kind of started to like, that just kind of blew my mind. And I just kind of started to say, how do I get more of that? Like I became voracious for, for developing like quality relationships and what I would consider like my own productivity, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and you've, you've also functioned as an agent of change, you know, both individually um, through your work, like we talked about recently with food and wine. Uh, and then also through full heart hospitality um, foundationally, what, what agenda are you pushing forward? What changes do you want to see within the industry? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I say all of this stuff to you recognizing and wanting to make sure that I'm, I'm clear that like, I, I still don't have all the answers. And I think that's part of this, right? Like I'm, I by no means profess to like, uh, you know, kind of have answers for everyone. Um, there's days I don't even have them for myself. Uh, you know, like I, I'm still kind of fumbling my way through a lot of things. Um, but, um, but I will say that, you know, this is an incredible opportunity right now that I think this industry has, um, this kind of forced introspection, um, that we can have on what we're doing, how we're operating, how we're treating our teams, um, what the systems look like by which we serve guests, you know, what guests want, like, you know, really d digging down on what people want and how to deliver to that. I've heard so many people these last few weeks talk about comfort food again. Like, you know, that's my fucking jam. I've been doing comfort food since I was 16, like, and people dogged me for it for years. Like I had cooks that would come and work for me who would then go and work at Noma and then they'd come back and like, there was a respect for me, right? But like, at the same time, it was like, oh, that's such simple, you do such simple food, chef. Like, like, like you know, the kind of like underhanded dog, like, and, and like, that's fine. It's all good. Like, it doesn't bother me. Like, I, I, none of that stuff bothers me, but I feel like it's amazing now for people, like chefs of these crazy calibers that I talk to who are like, you know, I'm focusing this week on getting out this really great like roast chicken and potatoes dish, you know, and I'm doing potatoes the way my grandmother used to do them where we like double fry them. And like, and I'm just like, yep, because that's what people want. You know, that is what people want. And they've always wanted some degree of that. Um, but now it's just magnified. So I think right now we have an opportunity to really kind of think about who we are and what we're doing. Um, and to improve on those systems and, and you know, the, the way in which we deliver the product and the experience. Um, you know, I think the hard part is that uh, we don't have, we still don't have any answers about this awful disease and it's just still changing. I mean, you saw yesterday, there's now this thing about kids getting this crazy, you know, uh, these side effects, right, from COVID that they, nobody understands. Um, and so every day we wake up and the information changes from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And as an operator, how do, you, how do you make decisions for your business in that environment when the information is constantly changing? Um, so I think right now, what instead of kind of these overarching lofty goals for the hospitality industry, I'm telling people to focus on what, what I'm calling the 30-60-90. So the 30-60-90 is basically just for you, for your business, for your specific kind of finite set of circumstances that that you have right now 
what is your 30-day strategy look like? How can you get some small wins within a 30-day period and capitalize on those wins? And then at the end of the month, kind of look back, see what worked, dissect it, right? Like constantly, I'm a huge, like, I'm a huge, like, note guy. I've got, like, notepads everywhere, notebooks everywhere. I'm just, like, a psychopath for, like, keeping record. So I think, like, that feeds into this kind of, like, measure what you're doing, constantly measure what you're doing. So get to the end of your 30 days, look back, see what's worked, document it, and then use that to create the roadmap for 60 and then for 90 and just kind of go slow and be methodical about what that process looks like. So I think that people are really overwhelmed right now. And the last thing they need is like, here's the manifesto for what it needs to look like when your state ban is lifted on, you know, uh, on um, non-essential businesses and instead break it down. So that's what we're trying to do. That's how we're trying to coach people right now. Um, we've got a few people that, that are having some great success with that. And, and I think that for right now, that's the best we can do is these kind of like moderate term strategies until you know we really have more learnings uh, from the science community as to what this thing looks like. My biggest fear is that we're going to get into this thing and people will be allowed to reopen and they'll reinvest and they'll you know take out some you know, new capital expenditures for their locations, maybe even take on some loans that they don't need. I mean, you know, um, nobody needs that extra debt service right on top of what currently exists. And, and they invested into their business to get reopened. And then when we get hit again in October with this crazy wave of, of illness, um, where is that going to leave people? So I think the key to, or the beauty, I should say, maybe of that 30, 60, 90 concept is like, you're making enough changes that like you're seeing some, some controllable success, but like you're not completely reinventing yourself because at some point, if that looming cloud of, of, you know, more illnesses kind of begins to roll in over the Valley, you can go back to what you were doing and, and be reactionary, you know? Um, so it's about kind of being proactive, I think. And, yeah, it's it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time out there. Well, and what do you think it looks like in 18 months, right? Post-vaccine, post-pandemic. Like, does it does it go back to the way it was before? Do you want to see it go back to the way it was before? I want people to feel comfortable. I want guests to feel comfortable. And I think that's the part that is the great unknown. I think that's more unknown than any part of this whole disease is like, the human element, you know, like how are people going to feel walking into a restaurant and sitting down at, at an area of cramped two tops next to people they don't know? Like we just don't know yet. And we don't know how long that's going to take. Like there can be some major fucking scar tissue there for a while. Um, and so, so I would love to think that people will feel comfortable. And yet I think we as operators also have a responsibility more than anything to make sure that things are safe. Um, you know, transparency is like more important than it's ever been. So how do we create these new relationships with guests that are totally based on transparency and bringing them in more than we ever have to understand why we're making the decisions we are, you know, why my staff is wearing masks, you know, why we've gone to disposable menus, why we're taking your temperature at the door. Um, you know, all these sorts of things are going to have to be communicated really thoughtfully. Um, and, I, and I hope that actually some of that doesn't go away because I think that actually frees us up to have, again, those better relationships, right? 
Um, and, and I think guests will want to, will, will want that and expect some level of that. Um, so I, I you know, th- that part of it, um, is I think something that we, we just don't have enough learning on yet. Um, you know, I, this one guy I talked to, uh, in San Francisco who has changed his restaurant to a grocery model and he's buying bulk foods. He's buying like 50 pound bags of flour and his staff's breaking it down into five pound bags and they're buying beans and canned sauces and like all this stuff you would never normally buy. He had something really interesting to say to me that has resonated, which is like the people that like, there's something huge about being a place right now where people feel comfortable enough to go to because if they're leaving their house at all they're maybe only going out like once or twice a week to pick up food from a restaurant or from another establishment or something or maybe to go shopping you know for food or whatever the case may be so like developing that relationship with the guests right now where like they're trusting you to come into your place um understanding that your business model isn't completely changed like there's some real power in that. And so I just, you know, the big fear in me, I think is like the consumers are going to forget, right? We as human beings have this thing where we just forget and we go back to normal. And I would hate to get to the point where like all this stuff that now we've spent evaluating and all these moments, even like this, where we can have these conversations about how do we get better? How do we shape shift and turn into something that was even better than before? Like it kind of washes away once right? Once the vaccine comes out. Um, so, so I don't know. Yes, I want to get back to, to, to normal or I want to get back to a comfort level um, with guests and staff. Um, but I also, you know, I also want to be super vigilant about, about making sure that things are safe. And I think that's on us as operators. That's, that's our responsibility, you know? And, and we could probably talk all day about how restaurants, restaurateurs, restaurant operators will, will change post-COVID. But I also want to talk about customers and, and how they'll change. Because, you know, and may, maybe this is, a, this is a bearish view, but I would think that either they're going to need to set, to set the expectation that they will pay more moving forward or they will expect less. Mm. Because well, I, I can't imagine anyone's interested in going back to the margins that we were used to. Mm, well, it's an awesome point. And I, and I think that that's another kind of, <laughs> even if it's just like a thin, a thin line, like this thin veneer of, of opportunity in this whole mess, like it's another piece of it, which is like, we now have this chance to kind of create this window for the guests to look in and see that this is a hard business. Like this is really hard. These margins are, like thinner than razor thin. And now, right, like given this world, the world of global affairs, like it's even worse than it was before. Um, they need to understand how much food costs. They need to understand how it's a challenge to figure out the tipping system. They need to figure out, or they need to understand, um, you know, all of these uh, auxiliary businesses that are supported by restaurants, right? Those tertiary businesses that feed into the restaurant community, whether you're a linen supplier or a farmer or a butcher or fishmonger or whatever, um, you know, I don't think the guest has ever made those connect. Well, I shouldn't say any guest, but very few guests make those direct connections. Uh, right now we have an opportunity to show them all the shit, all the guts, um, 
you know, come on in, right? Like come see the shit show and you'll understand now when you come back as a consumer, you know, hopefully a little bit better and you'll understand why I'm going to demand a reservation and you're going to understand why I'm not going to, you know, why I'm, I'm going to take a non-refundable deposit on your event. And you're going to understand, uh, you know, why, I don't do third app or third party app delivery, right? Because I have to revenue share with them and it's just not a profitable model for me. Like all of those conversations are now right there on the table. Um, so that's good. That's good. And we have that, we have that to our benefit right now. Well, and, and I wouldn't even blame the consumer for that because the reality is even within the industry itself, We've never had conversations like we're having today. We've never been so open and so honest. Um, you know, I always tell the story. Uh, one, one of the neighboring restaurants, I was walking to the bank and I saw the owner a couple of years ago of, of this other restaurant. It's like, hey man, how's it going? And he was like, oh, things are really good. And I was like, really? Because sales are down for me this month and they were last month too. So it's very interesting that they were really good for you. So like, yeah. oh no, man, things are great. And he closed two weeks later like closed up shop for good because nobody was talking about the issue. No, I mean, the amount of, the amount of chest puffing that goes on in the business is unprecedented, I think on any level, uh, in any, in any other business. Um, but I mean, it makes sense, right? It's because it's a fucking horrible business model, <laughs> you know? So like everybody is out to like act as though they're doing better than they are. I mean, I think there's kind of like, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, evolutionary wisdom in there. But, but uh, yeah, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think the greatest opportunity maybe in what you're talking about is this, uh, this opportunity for collaboration, right? And like, I've always been somebody who has, who has always believed that like the better minds we get around, you know, the table and talk about these things, the better off we all are. I think like that kind of concept, right, is like, is timely right now. Like we have a chance now. Nobody's in their fucking restaurant. Well, very few of us are in our are in their restaurants. Um, so use this time to create alliances and to reach out to people and to, to to call that friend of yours down the street that you know is you know having a harder time than you, um, and to start to start to you know think about how you can collectively shape the future. There here in Vermont, there's actually an amazing uh, coalition of of about 150 food service establishments that have started um, a, a group called Vermont for Hospitality. And they're on Facebook. And um, you go on there. I'm not even on Facebook anymore. I got off years ago, but I, but I go on kind of through Full Hearts channel. And, uh, and I read some of these posts and like, it's just beautiful to watch the flow of information now between different organizations and different ownerships and, you know, people who maybe were a little guarded before or who, you know, would withhold information. Um, uh, you know, so, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great opportunity. I think you're absolutely right. Do you have any last thoughts for the industry at large? You, you have a big audience. So I think we all need to be patient. You know, I think we all need to be patient. I think we need to be, need to be patient with ourselves. Um, I know that this is not easy for people. Um, I know that people, uh, you know, operators and owners uh, and those who are in managerial positions are kind of, you know, have those instances where they second guess themselves. I think that's totally normal. I think we need to kind of tap into our humanity and really think about, um, you know, not every decision that you make is going to be a win, right? And that's okay. Um, 
uh, I think that uh, we need to award, uh, kind of afford ourselves right now that opportunity to stay nimble enough that we can we can kind of tweak things and change things as as information changes, right? And and know that um, you know in that kind of process of remaining nimble and dancing kind of throughout these next few months uh, that you may find some parts of your business that you really like and you want to keep around. Um, you know, the, uh, this thing you mentioned about a third, a third, a third from, you know, Cornell business, I think it's smart. And I think that it's not going to go away. I think the guests wanting to come and, you know, pick up food to, you know, either cook at home themselves that are, that, that may be ingredients that come from your restaurant that's inspired by your menu or, you know, uh, these meal kit situations or uh, the grab and go or the CPG or you know, whatever it is. I think that's, that's not going anywhere. Um, so maybe that's something you play around with and you can experiment with now. You have this opportunity in time right now to, to have some failures and have it be okay, right? So it's a good time to kind of feel creative and, and to kind of get those, those creative juices flowing to see what might be possible. Uh, and that you might want to keep as a permanent part of your business long term. Um, I also, you know, encourage people to um, to really touch base with each other. You know, I think that collaboration concept we're talking about, like we are we are in such a moment right now. You know, just forgetting restaurants for a moment um, as a human race, where um, we have a chance to you know, get on your bike and ride down the street and check in with your older neighbor, um, you know, to go uh, pack up some bread that you made at home and, you know, go drop it off at a, a you know, the doorstep of a nursing home um, to, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. I feel like we have these chances right now um, to, to do some real good, you know, and I've seen some organizations that are doing some amazing things. This, another restaurant group I talked to the other day, they were able to work with one of their vendors um, to get uh, eggs at a, at a heavy, heavy discount. Um, and because of that, they then offered that discount effectively to, to their guests. Um, and with that discount uh, that was provided to them, they turned around and then used that to buy more eggs. And those eggs that they purchased, they donated to a local food pantry. And they were able to sell or purchase, I should say, 14,000 eggs in two days um, to push out to their local food pantries. Um, and I mean, those stories don't come along, come along every day, right? And so we've got an incredible opportunity as operators right now to be creative, to be engaged, to kind of, you know, work with our teams to come up with some really collaborative, interesting um, you know, new, new paths forward and, and to try a bunch of shit, you know, um, and to just kind of put one foot in front of the other. I think, I think we need to, we need to skew the, the idea of being overwhelmed by, by, uh, the catastrophe of this thing and instead get inspired by the possibility that we have in these next kind of 30, 60, 90, 120 days, you know, bit by bit. Beth Matthew Jennings. For more on his consulting work, go to fullhearthospitality.com or follow him on Instagram at Matthew Jennings. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. 
You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.